Hello, 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 hello. We are back again. Yeah. From outer space. <laughs> Still from outer space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just walked in to find you here. Okay. No, we're not going to just recite song lyrics. We can't keep doing that, Erin. No, but you know what? Next next series, it is just going to be like 45 minutes of we're just speaking in song lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like spoken word. Yes. We didn't write it. <laughs> but, but we didn't write it. Oh, dear. Uh, can oh you dear. imagine, though? Oh, my gosh. I'm not. Mm-mm. I'm not on board with that. <laughs> I'm on the train. Choo-choo. <laughs> Uh, the the Orient Express. No, a different one. Was there a murder on the Orient Express? No. Or yes. Are you on? Am, are you on the murder train? Am I lying on the murder train? <laughs> Did I just tell you a perfect lie? Weenie mm. weenie weenie weenie. Yeah. No. That's the Twilight Zone. It's just. I in think there. you can tell we've been recording for a long time. I think you can tell we've been being a human for a long time. Yes, that too, that too. I think think this month has been just a time to be had. (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy, yes. Um, Anyway, we are still talking about Knives Out, and we are Pop DNA. Yes. What some would like to call a podcast. (laughs) Rhonda, what did we talk about last time? Last time, uh, we talked all about detectives, both fictional and real. Yeah. Um, we dug into the history of the whodunit genre and the inspirations for Knives Out. And then we talked about some real detectives from back in the day, one of whom inspired Sherlock Holmes yeah. and was also possibly Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And that's the same guy, right? Yeah. Dr. Doctor Joseph Bell? Yeah. There's a theory that he was Jack the Ripper? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much stock I put in that, but, you know. Enough Worth to noting. make soup. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Mm, I don't know about that one, Aaron. I was a fan of it. I'll let I it slide it. this time. <laughs> but watch yourself, McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, we uh, we talked all about detectives and mysteries. Yeah. And this time we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit deeper. We're gonna go that. a little deeper. I feel like that I feel like that idea of like like yeah, we're gonna talk about what inspired knives out. Of course we're gonna talk about mysteries and detectives. Like that's obvious. But yeah. now we're going to no. go beyond the obvious. We're going to talk about some other things. We're going to talk about that like we see in knives out. Like privilege and lies and the lying liars who tell them. Um, mm-hmm. He lied from his face into my face. <laughs> yes. 
What was that from? I can't remember. Uh, it's Gilmore Girls. It's when it's the Founders Day punch when like yes. Rory and Lane and Paris all get drunk on the Founders Day punch, and Lane's yes. like talking about how Zach lied from his face into my face. Because <laughs> in my brain, that sounded like Leslie Nope talking to Anne, like the way she it does. He lied, sound like Anne. Leslie Nope. He lied from it his does. face to my face. Yeah. Oh, I love. Yes. That's how Mostly I heard nope. it. Always on our on our minds and yeah. in our hearts. And in our hearts. Um, mm-hmm. But Rhonda, yes. as I was rewatching Knives Out, uh huh, specifically which you how do every which day, I, which I every day, multiple yes. times multiple a day. Time. I'm a teacher, but I just play Knives Out for my class for the two and a half hours <laughs> every day. Yes. No one has complained <laughs> Aren't yet. Are your students so... like four years old? <laughs> You're like, we're they, gonna watch you know, Knives Out, kids. <laughs> you know they get it though. They're doing some analysis that's really impressive. Um, Knives Out Kids, um, an oh, alternate no. title for Clue Junior. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you okay? You disappeared no. for a second. No, especially because we call CVC words our sight words. So KVK, any, anyway. Knives Out Kids <laughs> and Clue oh, Jr. Oh, no. Um, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so we meet a character, Marta, who, who every time she, is it so... Every time she hears a lie, and also every time, every time she, she lies, when she lies, she when she out. lies herself, yeah. She because if she hears a lie, she wouldn't have a way of knowing whether it was a lie or not necessarily, unless she so has the information. Yeah, unless she, yeah, like knows. so. It's when she yeah, yeah. tells a lie. Yeah. Ugh. So that got watching that got me to think about like I don't know all like that notion we talked about this a little bit in our wonder woman episodes like a long time ago that there are oh, the certain... lasso of truth yeah and how right? there are like certain things your body does when you're lying you know because mm-hmm. you know that you're lying so there are certain things that you have to do um to kind of preserve that um and kind of like pass it off as truth but i found this really cool article um, like a, a psychological study that talked about how a lot of the times when we're being lied to, we know and we like decide to go along with it. So right. not always, obviously, there are people who are very good at this. So it's not saying that someone who's being lied to is like an accomplice or part of it, but the the study called False Allegations, Investigative and Forensic Issues in Fraudulent Reports by That um, sounds like some great bedtime reading. It was. It was really it was really some some good fiction, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um but it was um yeah, kind of this discussion about how there are a set of reasons why someone chooses to believe a lie, even though if you pushed past it, even with a little bit of reason, you might say, oh, no, that can't, that can't Sorry. be true, you know? Um, and I just thought it was really important to think about lying as a form of communication and 
being the lie you know, being the one uh-huh. who's being told the lie. Um, so I investigated <laughs> further. Um, oh. So in the study, they hypothesize um, that, yeah, there's a really, like, the biggest deal in the, in the telling of a lie is the relationship between sort of the deceiver and the deceivee, as they would say in the article. Um, So obviously the deceiver makes the choice to tell the lie. They have to invent the lie. They have to think about, like, plausibility. They have to almost spend all this time concocting the lie and then pass it off like it's no big deal. Like, a, a lot of time and thinking goes into it and then the acting process is acting like it's no big deal or acting like well of course this happened or um I just sound like a lying liar (laughs) (laughs) um and then the deceived comes into play when they're listening to the lie and they're kind of ignoring maybe the subtle signs of someone lying like either it's too well thought out, right? Like uh-huh. this it's person's obvious. Too much detail. Yeah, it's like too perfect. I didn't. Yeah. If I want to call out of work on Monday, I'm not going to say, "Well, I got sick and I went to the doctors, and this is what happened, and this is uh-huh. like I got this blood test done, and this is what happened." You're just going to say, "Oh, I was feeling really sick and I couldn't come in." Right. <laughs> so kind of. <laughs> You're going to choose to ignore that this person is going to painstaking heights to, like, pass off their lie as truth. Um, As the deceiver or as the deceived, there's also when we're being lied to by someone, it might be a loved one. So we don't want to Mm -hmm. believe that it's happening. Right. We don't want to believe. Oh, like, this person's obviously lying to me, you kind of make those excuses. Like, oh, no, I didn't get passed up for the promotion. Um, You know, like, I'm an amazing worker and I got passed up for the promotion. Not like, not, oh, I was sloppy on that report two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of, um, you're going to believe in that case that your employer telling you that you're perfect, but they chose someone else. You're going to believe that because you want to believe um, that truth. Um, And I think another huge part of this specific study was you want to believe the person to be a good person, um, which I think, I don't know, I think in watching um, Knives Out, I think a few of these come into play, like as characters kind of believe each other and as characters make the choice. Um, either make the choice to be suspicious of another character or make the choice to believe them. I think I see mm-hmm. this at play at, at a few points within the, the movie, but I just, I thought it was interesting to think, like, I had read, like, detailed accounts of how to, how a liar might tell a compelling lie, but I had never thought of, like, all of the reasons why someone might choose to believe one. Um and I, I just thought it was an interesting study. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that is, yeah, I think when we're thinking about, like, the characters in Knives Out who lie, like, 
I like the obvious is like Chris Evans character who, you know, we find out has been lying about wanting to help uh, Marta cover up, you know, her, her accidental murder. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) um, But I also think of like, um, is it Meg? Is that the, the college? uh, Yeah. When, so like, I think, I think she's probably like at the beginning, she's probably the one that we've the at least in the Thromby family who we kind of see as like a good person. But then it turns out, you know, she is, you know, just as culpable as the rest of the family. And and she's kind of gained Marta's trust and she uses that against her. Um, Yeah. Interesting. And that's. Yeah. Those tactics of like, well, I, I was just watching the beginning when they all like call Marta, Marta like kiddo, and uh-huh. they all, you know, and Marta's yeah, like, and they're like, I wanted you to be at the funeral, but I was outvoted. But I, <laughs> they all you know, say that, <laughs> like giving her hugs when Marta like is at work. She's just at work. Right. She doesn't need them to take care of her. She is. She has a family. She has her life. Uh-huh. Like it's. Yeah, super cringy. <laughs> but they yeah. kind of do. <laughs> no. And then, like you were saying with Meg, like she, um, oh, it just, it makes me. It's so almost much- worse. It's almost yeah. worse with Meg because yeah. you think that she's, you know, she's actually decent and, you know, on Marta's side. And yeah. then it's. Yeah, it's worse when you think someone is trustworthy and then it turns out they aren't versus someone who you know from the beginning is not trustworthy, you know? You know what I mean? Because, like, in that, when we first meet Meg, she calls out someone else for calling Marta the help, right? And then she gives her a big hug and she's like, oh, but, like, you're not that. You're part of the family. And that's just, that's so creepy the level of when you're the deceiver the level of creating the world in which you're trustworthy like hmm, gross Meg no thanks Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well there's a whole lot there's a whole lot that we could dig into with like the class divide there um and how uh, and and I will right now. So yay! <laughs> I think uh, remember in in the down we talked about this in the Downton Abbey series about how like the Crawleys were like like the Crawleys are different because like they're nice to their servants and the servants are like really like part of the family and like you know social class doesn't matter because like they're good people and like that's yeah um, I. <laughs> I think that like and you know in Downton Abbey like they kind of gloss over that like they present that as like yeah like this is you know it's like the utopian um view but I feel like in a utopia like no one would have to be a part of the servant class in the first place so it's like what? right that was anyway invented. Um, yeah <laughs> right um but yeah I think that we do like, I think that Knives Out, um, you know, kind of takes on that same idea, but it calls 
it calls it out. You know, yeah. like like we've talked about how like all of the family, like every all of the thrombies are like you know kind of pretending like Marta is you know she's part of our family and really like no <laughs> she's not like no. and you don't really think of her that way you just no. it just makes you feel better about yourself to yeah you know to about your your privilege and your you know insane uh yeah. wealth to yeah. pretend that you're you're all the same um, and the way that they're inviting her too, like <laughs> this is a woman who works there and they all yeah. call her kiddo. They call oh. her kiddo. They call her sweetie. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's anyway. Um, so, yeah. So I wanted to dig a little bit more into that idea of how Knives Out explores class um, and kind of cl- that class and social commentary that we see in there. And as I was digging into this, um, I, you know, started realizing that, like, there were a lot of movies that came out in 2019 that had this similar kind of idea, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we had, we had Knives Out. We had Us. Yeah. Um, Joker kind of takes that on. Uh, not as deftly, but, you know, it's yeah. in there. <laughs> um, and then we also have, like, Parasite. And hustlers, yeah, and ready or not, all kind of yeah. take on that same idea. Um, so like all of these movies, you know, are very different in genre, in style, in plot. Um, but they all have that idea that like kind of the sort of the one percent is you know the one percent and sort of like the classism of our society is the real villain in in this case um and it's interesting all of these came out in 2019 um it's like it's a very specific uh year it's a very specific time yeah and the and all of these movies have this very specific message to them um in a uh, piece for Fast Company, uh, Joe Berkowitz um, comments on this trend of 2019 movies having this class commentary. Um, he says, instead of hitting screens in 2018 or 2020, they all came out the same year that income inequality in the U.S. hit its highest level in the five decades since the Census Bureau started measuring it. Which is, that can't be a coincidence, right? No, um, no way. Right. He also uh, talks about, so, you know, in 2019, um, he, like, you know, like we were gearing up for the 2020 presidential election. Um, and Berkowitz uh, mentions how, like, billionaires decided to run for president. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Michael Mike Bloomberg uh I'm so glad that didn't happen um yeah <laughs> right oh um yeah so we had like all it like very clear income and class disparities on display in this very specific time and that's when we got all these movies that were pointing it out um this article for Fast Company, he um, he interviewed Ryan Johnson. I 
like how I keep finding interviews with Ryan Johnson. This is yeah, like, it's like Lee, like Lee Bardugo, except she just like okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so right, so Ryan Johnson is commenting about how he wanted to make sure to make that social commentary a big part of the movie, or you know, like it's really embedded in in the entire story. Um, and he says, I thought we're just going to put this in and we're not going to be subtle. When the family has a few glasses of wine, they're going to argue about what we're arguing about right now with our families. I didn't want it to feel like the movie is wagging its finger at you, but I wanted it to engage with culture right now. Because we see, like, I think, especially, like, the like the most obvious scene when, um, uh, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. I forget all of their names. I know when he he and Tony Collette are like arguing about like immigration yep. and yep. he calls Marta to come in to basically be like a prop for his argument. Yeah. And it's so cringy, but it's also so true to life. Like you, yeah. you see this, you see this happen all the time in, um, in arguments. <sighs> The way that he says, no, can I just ask this? Ugh. Yeah, it's I'm just so... asking questions. I'm not. Yeah, it's so cringy uh, and just horrible for Marta to be put in that situation. But yeah. also just. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, in in the in the Fast Company article, um, Berkowitz pointed out that um like you know like that particular scene and really kind of the all of the commentary woven throughout the movie does feel very of the time like of right now um but this kind of class struggle is really timeless you know it goes back to like the beginnings of 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 the United States and really just of class disparities in general um, he points out that for in order for the Thromby family to maintain its extravagant wealth, its members seek to deny the fortune coming to the working class immigrant who stands to inherit it. Just as in real life, the 1% has a vested interest in maintaining the status quo at all costs, Yeah, along with the resources to stack the deck. Yes. Um <laughs> Uh, I wanted to briefly talk about, I, I feel like I already talked about Parasite a lot when we talked about Downton Abbey. So I want to talk a little bit more about Us um, because I, it also has this, this idea of, um, of the privileged class holding on to its privilege at all costs. Yeah. Um, so us like makes this class divide very literal because we have the tethered live underground and yeah. you know the you know the real people quote unquote live above ground um the tethered have no choice but to mimic whatever the the people above ground are doing like they have right. to go through the exact same and this and these actions usually end up hurting the tethered, you know, in physical or other ways. Yeah. Um, and as we, the viewer, are watching, we see them, you know, like we see them as living separate physically. Um, and like the only thing that 
determines which one you are is which is like where you're born, like which side of, you know, if you're born underground or like it's nothing that you can control. Yeah. Um, and Jordan Peele commented on this as well um, in an interview with uh, Slash Film. He says, the idea that part of having privilege, especially in this country, seems to be that we don't consider it unearned. We have this legacy culture where we don't acknowledge the people who have and do suffer for us to have the things that we take for granted. Um, when you look in, when you look into this movie in terms of nationality, which was um, his jumping-off point, is like it's been pointed out that like the title "Us" is U.S. <laughs> like mm, right, yeah, yeah. It's a little on the nose, but I'll let it slide. Um, <laughs> Um, he, so he says like, that's his jumping off point class or race haves and have nots. However you want to look at the movie. The common factor is that the haves feel like we deserve and we confuse the idea of privilege and deserving. Yeah. Which I found really fascinating. And that's sort of what we see with the thrombies as well. Like they, they see, you know, they're like, I think Jamie Lee Curtis has a line that like, you know, this is still our house. Like, this is what we, this right. is, you know, what our family built. This is ours. Right. And there's still that idea in there. Um, uh, this is another Ryan Johnson quote um, in the Fast Company interview. He says, I think murder mysteries have always been particularly adept at looking at class divisions in any society. Usually we see it in the context of Britain because murder mysteries are often Agatha Christie adaptations. But there's something about the spectrum of suspects who usually run the gamut from the high to the low that's really adept at speaking to class. And here, again, he mentions Gosford Park as an example of that class commentary that he was inspired by. He says, I thought it felt very eclectic, the notion of using this genre to plug into some very current stuff about America. Yeah. Because it does feel like a very uniquely American story at the same time. Right. Well, and wasn't mm-hmm. it wider release? It was like November 27th or something. So it was very mm-hmm. like at it was the same Thanksgiving. time. Thanksgiving. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, hmm. oh, yikes. There's, a, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, and then he also, um, this article um, kind of ends on a note of like, um, like Johnson's, you know, like the social commentary, like it's kind of aimed at himself too. Um, right. He says it was a very, it was very important to me if I was going to get into the human stuff that's actually behind what's going on today that I self indict as much as anything else. As someone who is basically a Hollywood liberal, I needed to put myself upon the screen and show my own feelings as much as anyone else. Audiences can smell when they're being lectured and condescended to, and audiences can smell when you're actually laying something out there. Um, and so the article points out that even like like we were talking about, like even like Meg, who we see is like, you know, probably well intentioned for the most part, or like Joni who um you know yeah. like the more the liberal leaning characters um like they still like can't remember which country Marta is from like they're still you know very much caught up in their own 
their own privileged little bubbles. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, that's a small, like, that that little detail of, the, of, like, no one knowing what country Marta is from. Like, that's a small thing, but it's just, like, it's, like, a perfect encapsulation of, like, these, you know the privilege that these people have yeah. um the, yeah the thing i noticed too about the delivery of those lines is that they're said with authority they're said she's right. from and she's from ecuador like yeah <laughs> it's yeah i think it yeah. takes it um it's really nicely written to have them like declaring like these details while while like she's not even in the room with them you know it's just yeah, yeah. So great. Such a, I mean, not great, but <laughs> very <Yes. laughs> incisive. Yeah. I could say. Um, yeah. Um, and then I also just, um, uh, there was a great article in Den of Geek by Katie Burt that also got a little bit more into um, how the the class and social commentary are sort of wrapped up in the murder mystery genre, um, yeah. which I think is really, really fascinating. Um, so um, kind of going back to how um, uh, like it's the for, you know, like the middle part of the movie, we sort of move away from the traditional tropes and conventions of, of a whodunit because it's like, yeah. you know, like you said, it's like a, a Hitchcock movie in the middle of a whodunit. Um so um, uh, this is talking about Bert and Den of Geek is talking about um, by removing many of the traditional questions from the murder mystery, because we already know, we already know who done it. Um, so then the viewer is able to turn their attention to the more heinous, insidious and commonplace crime of the film, which is the way that the members of the Thromby family treat Marta. Um, and it's clear that they're, this is like deeply rooted in racism and classism. Um, so now we have two crimes that are waiting to be judged and punished. So first we have the crime of the actions that directly led to Harlan's death, which we want Marta to be able to, you know, escape from punishment for that. Like we don't want, you know, um, but then we also have the crime of the Thromby's privilege, which we are encouraged to view much more harshly. Yeah. So... Privilege is the villain um, in this movie. Um, and it's not just the those with, like, this extravagant wealth um, who attack Marta in defense of their wealth. It's because of what privilege actually does to the people who are born into it. So, like, their fear and their entitlement and their selfishness and bitterness, um, uh, you know, are really what is the driving force for this class divide like their fear that their that their privilege will be taken away and that they won't you know be able to have this kind of differentiation in class anymore well there is really what's driving them their fear that someone will treat them like they've all been treating marta this whole time exactly you know exactly yeah yeah. Um, so um, this uh, 
The Den of Geek article goes on to say, in exploring the corrupting nature of privilege, Johnson walks a fine line. He never suggests that there is no comfort to be found in having social and economic power, nor that there isn't fear and insecurity, um, but he doesn't waste too much time glorifying the pros of being white and rich, which has been represented in countless other films. Um, instead, it spends its time dissecting how horrific being privileged can be, the ways in which it strips you of your decency and makes you ugly even to the people you love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so this uh, this article also goes into um, how kind of like, you know, we have like a very um, obvious like different political opinions within the Thromby family, but they're both equally culpable of classism and, and even racism against Marta. Um, It's like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Um, Yeah. Just because you're liberal doesn't mean anything like. Right. Nope. Yeah. Um, it, it also goes back to um, the scene that we talked about where they're arguing about immigration. And um, it they this article points out that that like Marta is like trying to get away. Like she's kind of like leaning in the doorway. If you remember yeah. the scene, she's leaning yeah. in the doorway, sort of half listening. And when she hears them get to that topic, she's like, I'm out of here. But yeah. then they call her in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So this, oh, Richard is his name. Richard is Jamie Richard. Lee Curtis's husband. Okay. So when, so when Rich, Richard starts talking about this, uh, you know, this view that he has, um, he, you know, and he calls her in because he wants to use her to make his point without ever actually giving her the space to speak her mind, to say what she really thinks. He doesn't care what she thinks because he doesn't believe that she has any power to turn that opinion into action that could affect him. Yeah. To him, to him, Marta is not a person. She is a prop, something to be pulled out when he needs something to make a point. Um, yeah. So I think in this, um, you know, like in, in the story, how like, you know, she becomes the heir and she inherits um, not just the the house and the money and everything, but she also inherits the resources that came along with the Thromby family's privilege. And so then she does have the power then to affect how they live their lives. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And then this, this finally, this ends um, with the thought that in Knives Out, entitlement as depicted as the province of youth, which is to say anyone under the age of 85. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, we have Harlan, who's really the only decent member of the Thromby family. You know, like, like going back to, like, what Jordan Peele talks about with, um, you know, like, privilege and how we have we have the tendency to to view privilege as being earned even when it's not you know yeah. harlan harlan out of all the thrombies comes the closest to having actually earned his privilege because he did put in the hard work and i mean of course being a white man in america is its own kind of privilege yeah. um but 
you know, being white at all in America. Yes, um, absolutely. But, um, but you know, like he did actually put in hard work to earn even more um, of the privilege that he had. And he also is the only one who really sees Marta as a person. And yeah. he sees, you know, he sees her value. He sees her kindness and her compassion um, yeah. as a person and sees that she is deserving of, of, you know, whatever privilege they might have. Like she has actually worked very hard and earned, um, yeah. at, but never receives it because of, you know, but, or she does in the end, but like she hasn't, you know, received the benefits of privilege because she wasn't born into it. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where I, that's where my notes end, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking about that scene where, um, Richard and, Tony Collette's character. What is, I'm so bad with names. Joni. 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 Yeah. I always. I'm always forgetting all everyone's names. <laughs> That's because I have an aunt Joni who is her opposite. Like <laughs> she couldn't be farther from Tony Collette's character, so it's hard for me to call her Joni. <laughs> um. So Richard and Joni. I think um, that's such a great lead into that whole conversation when he does the Hamilton quote, like yes. a few scenes before when that's he right. says, um, immigrants, immigrants, we get the job we done. We get the job done. Like, and dude, you're not an immigrant. We all just sit there in like the cringe of that moment where he's yeah. like trying to be so like, I don't like pandering and just like being ridiculous. Um and racist and awful. And then that's our lead into this like Thanksgiving style conversation. I just, I right. loved that, that build yeah. up, you know? Well, I mean, I guess in a way, unless you're indigenous, you are an immigrant here. And, sure. I mean, kind of, but like not sure. in the way that, that he means it anyway. <laughs> he, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. So, you yeah. know, um, Thanksgiving is coming up. So, you know, this would be a great thing. Actually, I think when this episode comes out, uh, oh no. Yeah. When this episode comes out, it'll be like five days until Thanksgiving. So, you know, great stuff to bring up with your family. <laughs> If you want to continue this conversation, Saturday Night Live does a few really good sketches around, like, the Thanksgiving meal. Ugh. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite a time. Um. It's quite, quite Saturday a... Night Live, also not immune from uh, privilege and, and... No, you know, not at all. Class, class not and at racial all. privilege. Um, yeah. Not at all. Um, anyway... <laughs> It's just such an interesting, I don't know. The month of November in America is just. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just right there. It's just right Mm -hmm. like. Because that's when we always have our general election. Yes. And yeah. Great. Great, great. (sighs) So take care of each other, please. Please take care of each other. Please examine your privilege yes absolutely it's it's not fun and it's not easy and do it you know 
nobody is perfect at it, but yeah, you gotta do it. Yeah, you gotta do it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> now that we've preached at you, <laughs> I'm sorry. We're not trying to preach. This we're 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 dealing with the same thing too. Like we're you know, we gotta do yeah. it. Gotta, gotta, gotta we gotta do it. Yeah, gotta. gotta. It's a constant process. Um, yeah. Anyway, what are we? Ta- are we gonna have more fun next week? <laughs> next week we are. We get a little more whimsical. I'll give us that. We talk about um, dysfunction. Dysfunction, you know. Dysfunctional families are great. And then creepy houses. Ooh, some spooky houses. Yeah, I think next time will be a little more fun. So, yeah. Yeah. Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. (laughs) Because now we... Tune like T-O-O-N. Tune. (laughs) Like Toontown. The weirdest place in Disney World land. Or T-Town. The, like, pub in Tacoma. Yes. Yeah. That, like, we always go to before we go to the movies. Um. I thought you meant a town of like tea parties. Not I would want to live there, please. I would I would want what one tickets to tea town, please. One ticket to tea, please. To tea. <laughs> tea. Okay. Yes. Well, thanks, friends. Uh, where can um, you where can they find us, Erin? Oh, do you want my address? But um, yeah. Um, Instagram and um, our our blog and um, yeah. Also, go to TikTok because Rhonda is burning it up on TikTok, and go go follow her. Yeah, like I just I hit a twelve point five thousand followers. Go check her out. She's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, within Jane Austen TikTok, I'm actually like pretty famous. So <laughs> that's saying a lot too. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for plugging that for me, Erin. Yeah. I'll get you your money later. Um. <laughs> well. You okay. Know. Yes. Go go find some stuff to to that makes you happy. And um, we'll see you next week. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) Okay, bye.